1: On chapter 4, he changes just a little bit, but continues with his thought, and he deals with just uh, the opposite of peace, and he deals with war. Why are there wars in a church? Why does a church have conflicts and, and quarrels and bickerings and fights? For that matter, we can say, why is there war in the world? Why do you have problems at home? Why do you argue with your spouse? Why is there rivalry amongst Children, brothers, and sisters.
2: If you have children, what were the first words they learned? In our son's case, da was his first word. Yeah, obviously short for dad, right? (laughs) And soon they pick up mama and some others. But it seems like among those early words, we soon hear them say mine. And they really mean it. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve will begin his final sermon in this series from the book of James. It's a three-part message, so I hope you'll be able to listen as we continue over the next few days. There's an old saying that an argument has two sides, and they're usually married to each other. <laughs> There's some truth to that, isn't there? And if they're not married, they probably go to the same church. Get your Bible ready if you can. Here's Pastor Steve.
1: We would like you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4 as we're moving along in our study of the book of James. We've arrived at the fourth chapter tonight. It's unfortunate that the chapter actually cuts off at 18, and it looks like it's a new uh, thought, chapter 4, but really one flows right into the other. Chapter 4 just continues the thought of chapter 3 with a little bit of different twist to it. Chapter 3 ends concerning peace, And those who are wise are those who are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. They look for peace. Wise leaders, he says in chapter 3, bring peace to a congregation, not chaos. But unwise leaders bring disorder and every evil thing, he says in verse 16. Now in chapter 4, he changes just a little bit but continues with his thought, and he deals with just uh, the opposite of peace. And he deals with war. Why are there wars in a church? Why does a church have conflicts and and quarrels and bickerings and fights? For that matter, we can say, why is there war in the world? Why do you have problems at home? Why do you argue with your spouse? Why is there rivalry amongst children, brothers and sisters? Much of uh, church history is is the story of one quarrel after another. All you have to do is read a book on church history, and you'll realize that, as a matter of fact, most of the world's history is the story of war. Not too long ago, a Norwegian statistician computerized every war that mankind has engaged in, and here's what he discovered. During 5,560 years of recorded history, there have been 14,531 wars, averaging a little over 2.6 wars each year. In the history of 185 generations, only 10 of those generations have had unbroken peace. There have been ridiculous wars. I came up with three wars that I I would assume that you have never heard of. But these were wars between nations. The War of the Whiskers. Actually a war between nations. The War of the Whiskers. The War of the Oaken Bucket. Now, here's one that you would appreciate, the War of Jen- Jenkins' Ear. I, I hope no no two nations fought over somebody's ear, but these were actually wars between nations. And even in our generation, how many wars have, have taken place. Some of you remember World War I. There's been World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War. Conflicts right after another. How many countries are at... Uh, war in the last 10 years, fought each other, and, and uh, how unsettled the world situation is. Why are there wars? But it's one thing to read about wars. It's one thing to, uh, to see war movies on television, to even uh, have vivid memories, those of you who have fought in wars. But it's another thing, and it, it comes right down to uh, grip us when it's your own war. So you're just fighting for a country. But when it's your own quarrel, when it's your own fight, when it's your own conflict and not your country's, that's when it really grips us. Why do we have war? And all of us know what it's like to have a conflict with someone else. I was just, uh, someone heard me talking to my son in the hallway, just walking around, and he, he told me about this nice fellow that he, that he knows at school, and he said, but I can't hit him too hard. Notice he said, Too hard. Everybody's had conflicts. I spoke to a man recently who was challenged to a fist fight over business dealings. I've seen children fight in in school over really petty things. Couples argue with one another. All all of us at one time or another, at least I, I should say I think all of us at one time or another, have had arguments with our spouse. Many of us more than once, but countless times Businesses have conflicts all the time within themselves and with others. Relatives sometimes don't talk to each other for years over an argument. Sibling rivalry is, is famous in the uh, psychology realm. And many of us have actually had physical problems because of the uh, fights that we, that we have gotten into, the conflicts with other people. Some have ulcers. Some have weak hearts over this, and we kid about people having gray hair over these things that bother them, conflicts with other people. Now, it's wrong to have conflicts like this. It's wrong to be at war with people, but it is especially wrong for Christians to be at war with one another because they know better, and they have the capacity to have victory over this. Now, let me explain something here. James is not dealing with the... with having a conflict over a doctrinal issue. That's another another situation. Or a conflict over someone who refuses to repent. We're not talking about that now. We're talking about having com- conflicts that don't deal with doctrinal issues, conflicts that don't deal with, with the righteousness issue in someone's life. He's not dealing with that. Now in James chapter 4, uh, he must have been... Referring to some terrible conflicts taking place within the churches he was writing to. The congregations, it wasn't just one congregation, but he must have have known about terrible conflicts that were going on. And you see, we need to keep in mind that the context of this is James is writing to Jewish Christians who were not living in Jerusalem. They were living outside of Palestine. And living outside of Palestine, they were influenced by the world. They were not living in the Jewish community, and they took within themselves the world's ways. They were influenced very much by the world. And let's face it, the world has conflicts, and the world is battling themselves. It's a rat race to see who will get ahead and who can be number one. Now, we have a tendency to think of the early church as just being wonderful. If we could only be back in the early church, we think everything would be fine. But not so. For instance, we've been studying about the church at Corinth. So many conflicts there, we, we couldn't take the time to go into that. But you know, there was jealousy, party divisions, suing one another, all kinds of conflicts. The Galatian church in 515, we read this in Galatians. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Why don't you turn there or jot this down. Philippians chapter 4, 1 through 3. We sometimes think that there were no problems at the church at Philippi, but listen to this. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown so stand firm in the Lord, my beloved, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. He says these two women were having a conflict. Would you help them? so that they don't have any more conflicts. But why are there conflicts and battles? Why on a personal level can't we get along with one another? On a family level, John MacArthur has written, uh, not written, they've made into a cassette album, very famous album, that really uh, part of that shook up the community of Los Angeles, called Family Feuding and How to End It. Most popular series that they ever produced. Why? Because families are feuding. Why do we have conflicts on a community level, on a church level, on a national level? Now, if you could answer this and convince people that you knew what you were talking about, you could probably win the Nobel Peace Prize. You could answer it if you follow what James has to say, but I doubt if the world would listen and say that that's the uh, solution. But why do wars begin and how do they end? That's, that's really what we want to deal with and that's what James deals with. Certain people have tried to answer this question. A man named Nicholas Rowe said that there are wars because of this. He says it's the needy bankrupt's last resort. Thomas Hobbes said that there are three principal causes of war, competition, diffidence, and glory. Plato said it's for the getting of wealth that all our wars arise. God says in James chapter 4, 1-10, through 10, his perspective, which is the whole true picture of why wars begin and how they end. So let's, let's look at this. You want to know how to stop conflicts in your home? You want to know how to stop conflicts in the church if they ever arise, or in your business dealings, or in your school, or in your nation, if you have the opportunity to be in a position like that? It's all down here in James chapter 4, 1-10. through 10. So we want to look at three truths that will tell us how to stop fighting. We want to look at the source of conflicts, the symptoms of conflicts, and the solution to these conflicts. Number one, the source of conflicts. James opens up the whole discussion by asking one question. and Let's look at that in verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? He says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Immediately, James puts a challenge to his readers. What's the real source of your problems? Why do you have it? Notice the term quarrels, or in King James it says wars, and conflicts, which means it says fightings. Notice that they are plural. It wasn't one isolated incident. It was a way of life. That's the real tragedy of it. It wasn't just that one thing came up in maybe a church business meeting if they had them then, but it was a, a chronic condition, a way of life. And James says, why? Why do you have them? The terms quarrels and conflicts are not identical. They're similar, but not identical. They're slightly different. The difference being this. It would be the difference between a war and a battle. Quarrels are the war, and conflicts are the battles that make up the war. The quarrels refer to the state of hostility, the war. The conflicts refer to the specific outbursts of those battles. You know what I mean. You've been in a church where you, can, you you come in and you sense something is wrong, and then you're there for a while and you see an outburst, and you say, that's why there's a war going on. That's what James is referring to, the individual battles within the total picture of the war. Keep in mind, he's writing to churches that have been influenced, as I said, by the world, and if the one thing the church needs to learn is this, it is not to be like the world, it is to be different in almost every respect. So James says this, what's the source of this hostility? Who's to blame? Now, you know, everybody wants to blame the other person. If they would just leave this church and go to another church, everything would be fine. Keep in mind, we're not talking about doctrinal differences. We're not talking about uh, righteous living now. We're talking about the normal conflicts of getting along with people. Everybody wants to, to blame somebody else. He's never the problem. We're never the problem. It's always the other person. But James gives an answer that will surprise many of us, because we're the problem. He says, what's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? The source of the problem isn't the world's environment. It isn't living in the world. It isn't the person next door. It isn't the person who I have to sit next to in church. It's us. He says, the real problem is you and the pleasures within you that wage war in your members. The conflicts are out of our pleasures. That's what it literally is in the Greek. The source of it is us. It's out of our pleasures. The trouble arises out of a self-seeking, selfish, self-exalting, egotistical attitude that we all possess because we're all sinners. Now, it's interesting, the Greek word for pleasures it is really not lust. The Greek word is, I'm going to pronounce it right, hedonon. Hedonon, from which we derive our English word hedonite or hedonism. And what is that? A hedonite is a person who lives only for pleasure. That's where we get this word. Hedonon. It rises out of the hedonon that wars within us. That living only for pleasure, only for us. The word is rarely used in the New Testament, but when it's used, it always has a bad connotation. One Greek scholar said this about it. One of the many forces which belong to the world of unsanctified carnality, which strive against the work of God and his spirit. The pleasures that a person derives from the fulfillment of his evil desires. That's what it really is. The pleasures we derive that satisfy us from evil desires desires. Let me put it in simple terms. The reason we bicker with fellow Christians, whether it be in the church, though that's the context here, whether it be in the home, whether it be amongst friends or people we used to call friends, the problem and the reason we bicker is selfishness. We want our own way when we want it, how we want it, and that's the source of the conflicts. We put ourselves above others. We'll get what we want regardless of how others feel about it. When our desire is to seek what we want rather than seek what God wants for his glory, conflicts arise, and that's what James is saying. You see, we can appear so spiritual in our carnality. For instance, I think of Matthew chapter 20, where James and John came to Jesus, or the mother of James and John, and she said, I want you to have my sons sit on your left hand and on your right hand in the kingdom. It appeared so spiritual, but you know what she was really saying? I want them to have earthly recognition. I'm really not concerned about the kingdom. Tell them now so that others will know that they are the best of the apostles. And the Bible says all the apostles were disturbed when James and John's mother came and spoke to Jesus. Why were they disturbed? Because they wanted to be on the left hand and on the right hand. They weren't disturbed because of uh, of being spiritual. It was a cover-up. We want what we want. And we have our little uh, pseudo-spiritual ways of saying things, which really, we can use the language, but when it gets right down to it, God knows our hearts, conflicts arise, and God sees that you just want to propagate what you want, and you're going to get it any way you can. And these selfish desires are within all of us, he says. They war within your members. They wage war in you, and we're so prone to give in to them. The picture here, waging war in your members, the picture is one of of soldiers carrying on a military campaign aimed at satisfying their desires, aimed at winning, taking over the beaches of your heart. The picture of Paul in Romans chapter seven, who says, "I want to do this, but I don't want to do this, and I struggle within and that's what James is really saying. It's these pleasures, these, these the desire to satisfy these pleasures that just drives you to walk over everybody else, and that's where conflicts come. You see, the conflict with other Christians really develops when our carnal desires aren't satisfied, and you know who keeps us from being satisfied. It's other believers. They stand in our way. And that's when we get annoyed. And that's when anger stirs up within us and we get disturbed at them. Why? Because they have not allowed us to satisfy our desires and therefore we have not been fulfilled. And this is the real key. This is why couples have have marital problems. One of the reasons. This is the problem. Because the other spouse is standing in your way of having a good time, of fulfilling these desires and pleasures, whether they be wrong or not. Someone else says no to your selfish desires. And that's when we get annoyed. That's why we get angry, because we didn't get our way. And we feel that we deserve this, and so we have a conflict. It's the same way in a church. I want to pass what I want to pass. I want my Sunday school to be this way. And someone else says, no, it won't be that way. And a conflict arises because we're not fulfilled and not satisfied in our selfish ways. It's the motivation of selfishness. The source of the conflict is not somebody else, but it's me and it's you. We are the key to this. Why do wars begin? Why do they start? Greed. I want to get ahead. my country. No matter what terms we use, my country wants to be number one. Adolf Hitler came up with all kinds of, of logical-sounding reasons to, to justify his actions. Russia has them, too. The sad thing is the United States has had them. The conflict is us. What are the symptoms of these conflicts? How do you know if, if these conflicts are really there? What's the evidence? When there is a war that goes on, well, there's a lot of them, but James nails down a few specifics. Verse 2, he starts off by saying, You lust and you don't have, so you commit murder. You're envious, you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Let's stop there. These Christians were frustrated because there were things that they longed for that would fulfill their selfish gratification, but they couldn't be satisfied. For some reason, they weren't satisfied. And so what happens is they have conflicts. They murder. I don't think it means literally murder or else they'd be put in jail or whatever they had. It means that you hate with the potential to murder. Jesus said if you hate in your heart, you have murdered. He says you're envious. You can't obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. You're envious. You want something. You covet. You cannot obtain, but you want it. You want to be satisfied, so a war develops in your church. William Barclay gives us good insight into this. He says, it sets men at each other's throats. Desires, as James sees it, are inherently warring powers, these desires we have within us. He does not mean that they war within a man, and I would say that they mean this, That they do war within a man, plus that means that they war outside also. He says, although that is also true, but that they set men warring against each other. The basic desires are for the same things for money, for power, for prestige, for worldly possessions, for the gratification of bodily lusts. When all men are striving to possess the same things, life inevitably becomes a competitive arena. They trample each other down in the rush to grasp them, they'll do anything to eliminate a rival. Obedience to the will of God, he states, draws men together. For it is that will that they should love and serve one another. Obedience to the cravings for pleasure drives men apart. For it drives them to rivalry, competition for the same thing. So the symptoms of a selfish heart is hatred. It's lusting, it's desiring. And this is the word desire. Desire isn't always used in the New Testament to mean evil. You have to look at the context. Here it means that. We can have a desire to do good things, but here, the obvious context, when it says you lust and you don't have, so you commit murder, is is evil. It's evil desires. That's the symptom, one of the symptoms of our conflicts. We covet. We hate, because others are ahead of us. Others are getting what they want, and we can't, and so conflicts arise, jealousy, petty envying. Like I said, think about why you argued with your spouse, the last argument you had. She or he probably kept you from getting what you wanted to get. And you let them get your wrath.
2: James didn't pull any punches, did he? You are envious and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel, he said. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have to agree that that really is our problem. But as we'll learn over the next couple of days, God gives us a way out of this predicament. I'm glad you could be here today for Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the year led by Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you'd like to find out more about Lakeside, or maybe even stop in for worship some Sunday, there's plenty of information online at lakesidechapel.com or call the church office at 727-441-1714. Another website that might be of interest to you is versebyverseradio.org. While you're there, visit our message archive page and browse the hundreds of previous broadcasts that we keep there for you to stream or download at no charge. That's versebyverseradio.org. Since we are a listener-supported ministry, perhaps you'd like to check out our giving page where you can discover how easy it is to give securely online. Or call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. We thank all the generous people who help us keep verse-by-verse on the air. This is Jerry Peterson. Sir Fred Catherwood said it well. Greed is the logical result of the belief that there is no life after death. We grab what we can, while we can, however we can, and then hold on to it hard. You know, it occurs to me that a whole lot of us live like we don't really believe we have eternal life. Join us for the next Verse by Verse as Pastor Steve Kreloff shares about the correlation between conflict and discontentment.